Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of end friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Little known fact about my guests today, Nick Blameyer and Ethan Slater. Together, they are the minds, hearts, and souls behind the concept album created by them called Edge of the World, which also features two Broadway legends, Lily Cooper and Norbert Leo Butts, both previous guests on the podcast. I was so lucky to get to sit down with Nick and Ethan and talk about A, what is a concept album, and B, what is this concept album about? They are really special guys, and here they are without further ado, Nick and Ethan. A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everyone. My guests today are Ethan Slater and Nick Lehmeyer. Ethan is an actor, writer, and musician. He was nominated for a Tony Award and won the Drama Desk Award for playing SpongeBob, the titular role in the SpongeBob musical on Broadway, which also happened to be his Broadway debut, which is Crazy Pants. He's released two albums of his original music, and when theater returns, he will star in the revival of Stephen Sondheim's Assassins. His partner in crime, Nick Blameyer, is a writer and performer, and at 23 years old, Nick wrote the Broadway one-night sensation rock musical, Glory Days, which now has gone on to be performed all over the world. He has written five other original musicals, was nominated for a Drama Desk Award for his performance as John in the off-Broadway revival of Tick, Tick, Boom, and... 
his musical Space Dogs is part of the 2022 season at the Manhattan Class Company. And together, these two wunderkinds have written and recorded a concept album called The Edge of the World, starring two previous podcast guests, Norbert Leo Butts and Lily Cooper. Um, so now I have uh, all four of you in my coterie of incredible guests. Welcome, Ethan and Nick. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, honored to be here. Well, I want to just jump right in because I I have had the privilege of listening to a lot of this album. And the idea of a concept album is something that people outside the Broadway space may or may not be familiar with. Um, So I guess I want to just talk about, and you guys can choose who speaks first. Um, you're both pretty, no fighting. Um, but sort of the, the, the way in which this concept album came to exist. And first, what is a concept album? Mm. Yeah. So um, in this case, a concept album is, uh, you know, it's like a story told through music. It's um, in this case, it, we were, you know, we're taking this show that we have, which is uh, um, ostensibly in a stage musical called Edge of the World. And we're telling the story through the songs. And I think one of the things that's really exciting about a concept album often is that each song works as its own tune. It's its own sort of pop, rock, folk track mm-hmm. um, without uh, necessarily having the dialogue that connects them. Um, you know, it's like very much where we were inspired by uh, the Who's Tommy and, you know, Jesus Christ Superstar is a concept album. And these, these like, you know, these works of, uh, I think there's also like this crossover music genre thing that happens a lot when you're, t- when you're talking about concept albums, that it's not just the sort of, uh, you know, quote unquote standard musical theater thing that, um, that you're experiencing, but rather sort of a hybrid genre kind of vibe. That, is, that feels like my my rambly what is a concept album nick take over <laughs> uh tag um i i mean i definitely concur with all that i think like the big difference to me is that musicals while being sort of like an inherently surreal art form as people just like pick up and sing when they're they're feeling it uh it, they, they can tend to be a little more literal sometimes and like i want to go to the festival um and I think what we've been interested in and inspired by, like Ethan said, is stuff that's a bit more refracted and sort of gives you clues as to what's going on, but that, that involves the audience a little bit more in like piecing together what's happening and, and where it's happening and how. And I think now like it's, it's actually like, I feel like I see musicals everywhere. I'm like, I watch a horror movie and I'm like, oh, the, like the the scares are the songs of the horror movie or the, you know, action scenes of the action are the songs of an action movie. Or like, you know, there are so many bands like the Decemberists or Mountain Goats uh, who release these albums that feel very cohesive. Lemonade, Beyonce, like these are concept albums. These are like, they have their own innate emotional arc, but they're not uh spoon feeding you all of the givens and i think that really opens up a a a nice dialogue with the audience that as a listener i i'm really into and felt really right for for this particular show so tell me about you guys coming together have you worked together before 
yeah, I mean, we worked together as actors on uh, on the development and and pr- world premiere of SpongeBob, um, and so we we knew each other in that capacity. And I was a fan of Nick's writing, um, and so like we we, you know, had uh, you know worked artistically together. And then I I was working on this thing and asked if he would be helpful uh, a helpful eye as a friend. And he saw the, the couple of tunes that I'd written and was like, yeah, I actually, I think I connect with this and, and would love to um, help craft it with you. So uh, then that's really, when we started on Edge of the World. Well, go ahead, Nick. Go no, for no, no, Nick. please. <laughs> uh, tag for Nick. Um, yeah, I, no, I, I just think it's an amazing thing when, you know, when you, I think we all, we all know that like acting is the gateway drug for artists, right? It's like the thing that you get taught in, in uh, middle school and it, it brings you into the world of creativity. But then, you know, as you get older, you start finding all these different facets. And, and I certainly got obsessed with writing really young and, and I'm, I'm from DC, Ethan's also from DC. And so we had some like parallel experiences and favorite theaters and, and, grew up kind of like around uh, DC is a really good kind of indie theater scene. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. it was something that as we were working on this big honking commercial musical, we're talking about like our mutual love of like just the little guy and, and, uh, and Ethan had written these amazing songs. And I feel like something that, you know, as you so kindly introduced us, Alana, uh, I, I wrote a show when I was 23 that had a crazy trajectory and taught me a ton about like both what I knew and what I didn't know. And the biggest thing that I didn't know was structure and just like the value of structure and efficient storytelling. And so I'm older than Ethan. And so as I was listening to Ethan's stuff, I was like, let me just save you the time that I wasted or, or, or used to, to screw up um, to just like, I see what you're trying to do. And I think, I think maybe like me pushing back on you can help you crystallize more what you mean. Uh, and it became just this really fun dialogue that like in a lot of ways was just for fun at first. And then became, yeah. I think as, it, as with the best things, the fun turned into like, Oh, wait a minute. Like, do we have something here? And if so, what do we do with it? And now there's a pandemic and what do we do with it in a pandemic? And, you know, that brings us back to concept album, which was right. kind of the only version of expression we could figure out um, that, that really made sense. Well, right. And like talking about something starting as like a fun exercise, we were we had been talking about recording an album sort of uh, in various little ways. And part of that conversation, we we're like, well, what happens if we just strip out all of the dialogue from the script? Let's just like get rid of all the book scenes. Let's see if we can tell the story song to song and then like have these sort of interstitial physical moments that we would you know and we did that and it was just like much clearer like immediately we were like oh this is the story um and so a concept album not only is a really fun expression of of the show in like one iteration it's not like it's not only like you know but it's actually a really great way to tell the story and to introduce the story to the world yeah it told us what it was which was which is the thing that you know the best your your art is smarter than you you know and it's a cool thing to kind of have to like put your ego second to like listen to it like what does it want to be oh it doesn't want a ton of literal given circumstances okay it's it's pretty simple in its plot but it's complicated in its inner life how do we highlight that correctly just the songs okay you know it's it's been cool 
so crazy trying to talk about the creative process, right? Because it's so um, intangible in certain ways. Uh, Although I'm curious because, you know, I mean, there are master classes now on everything, right? Like when you mentioned sort of talking to Ethan about structure based on your own experiences, um, is that something that can be taught? I mean, I know in screenwriting, you're like act one, act two, you know, this is what has to happen by this page. Um, Is that, can you talk a little bit about that? And sort of when you said to Ethan, like, let me save you a minute here. Like, what is that? look like? Totally. I, I think it can be taught. And I actually think that we should sign know, up for Nick Blameyer's master. Y- yes, exactly. A hundred dollars an hour. But, um, yeah. I think, I think it's like the left brain, right brain interaction, right? It's like right brain is where the magic and the inspiration and the emotion are. And the left brain is the math. And I feel like one thing that, that I, I realized sort of in a uh, sort of high impact way in, in, my crash course in in writing for Broadway was that everybody sort of hands the keys over to the creative and is like, hope it goes well, hope you're a genius, you know, whereas in, in movies from the beginning of time, there has been a real sense of we only have so much money to pull this off and we want to spend it correctly. And there's a uh, there's a math to the magic. And what I started realizing when I started working in movies was this three-act structure is not that different from the two-act structure of, uh, of a, a two-act musical or the one-act structure um, uh, that, that most, like, you know, so like Bat Boy or, or uh, some of my favorite off-Broadway musicals are like, because there just isn't an inherent beginning, middle, and end and everything. And starting to realize, okay, you know, as I was saying about action movies or, or horror movies, like there is a moment in the first 10 minutes of every movie where the character implicitly states their want, right? And that's their I want song. And so often we um, we sort of value inspiration and like the deity coming down and sprinkling fairy dust on us over perspiration and knowing what the mm. what way to work um, is actually helpful to your... Um, telling your story better. And I think something that really like just shocks me is the feeling of when something is said clearly in the right spot in a story and how, how much it hits and how much power it has going forward, how you don't have to restate or create like a overcomplicated, um, you know, plotting to keep people interested. Like if the audience can identify themselves with the characters and feel like, oh, I, I understand this person or I am this person in some way, then they'll go anywhere with you. And it's there. So it's like to think that there isn't math to that, I think is a little idealistic. Um, and I, I don't mean to say that it, it's cynical to think about it that way. I think it actually is the portal to the most fulfilling version and it just it's it's been a, a fascinating experiment because obviously like there is this piece of it that is you know as Ethan was saying about cutting the book like that wasn't a math problem that was really trial and error and writing a whole book and realizing like <laughs> this is not right and so it it's it's just 
I, Stanley Kubrick, there's two quotes that I love. Stanley Kubrick talks about like letting God into the room and like letting them stake into the room and the idea that, that something on the day will happen that will screw up your plans. That feels, you know, speaking of another quote, John Lennon's, you know, life is what happens when you make other plans. Uh, and then another quote that I love is this idea of building the bones and then smudging, which is a Susan Sontag quote. And I just, I love that too, because it just allows for, you know, both sides of your brain to have equal say in, uh, in a storytelling process. Ethan, I feel like Nick just told us that you have actually written the entire book to this musical or much of it. (laughs) I think that's Uh, what I heard him say. (laughs) We did it together. We did it. We did it together. Yeah. Uh, no, I, th- I I think that there was like a, w- one of the things that um, I really love about writing also is like reading two dozen books um, that all say the same thing in different permutations. And then like, you know, using that as sort of this backbone to like, you know, lay the inspiration on. And, and there's something that I, I see in a number of those books that Nick just sort of referred to, which is like, actually, what you should do is write your first draft. And then go through and try to structure it because the structure is going to be this really helpful way to lay something out. If you know the structure, your first draft will have that baked in, which is sort of a really nice thing about it as you like, you know, learn more and practice more. But like in my experience, like that's also a really nice thing is like let the inspiration flow. And then as, as Nick said, like perspire to make it, um, to make so it what work. Was but like, the burning, what was the burning desire to tell this specific story? Because it has to, I mean, you're going to stick with something for a really long time. You have to really want to tell this story. So unless you're a gun for hire, which was not the case in this, in this particular artistic endeavor. So what was the thing that you were like, I want to write about this? I mean, honestly, I was like making a list of all of the things that I would want to write about. (laughs) um, I was like, okay, well, like, let's, let's, Today, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm going to write like 20 ideas down. Okay. And I probably wrote five. Um, and then like, I just sort of kept on doing that. And I had and this one idea that just like sort of kept on sticking with me was um, that I wanted to write the story of like a boy who was raised in isolation in rural Alaska and uses his imagination to cope with the loneliness of his surroundings. Um, and why, like, how did that even come to you? Because that does not sound like your personal childhood experience, correct? <laughs> right. No, it's not my personal childhood experience. Um, but a lot of it, like, you know, I think that there, there are elements of it that really spoke to me. This idea of, like, feeling isolated in different ways, even when you were surrounded by people. Um, the idea of, like, being a, a, an incredibly imaginative kid. Honestly, like, a big part of my like self story, <laughs> my, my story of self is that like, until I was 10 years old, I just like lied a lot. Like I told, I told a lot of lies and um, now I like to recontextualize and reframe that as like, I was a storyteller. I was telling, I was telling big stories about little things. Um, and then, but there was like a moment I remember in sort of like early middle school, like sixth grade where I was like, oh, Oh no, actually, this is a this is not a good thing to do. Like telling people things that aren't true invalidates everything that you say that is true. And so, like I remember I remember that being a big learning moment for me. But as a kid who was telling stories all the time, um, 
you know, that, that was just sort of how I saw the world. And I started to believe them a little bit. Like, I, you know, I remember telling my cousin that I was being followed by a CIA spy. And like, obviously that's a game, right? Like that's a game that kids play like, Oh no, I'm being followed by the CIA. But I like sort of got really into it and like really started like believing it, like, you know, was hiding and things and like doing all these like goofy little, you know, kid things, but <laughs> they were really real. Um, and, and like, I, who knows what that comes from, like delusions of grandeur as a kid or whatever it is. But like, I wanted to write about that in some way. And I think that this was a way to do it, which was like, take away all of the other variables, take away the idea of trying to impress someone or trying to, it's just like, you're building your own world because there's nothing else. Okay, um, first of all, I love Edge of the World and it's going to go on I would imagine to be performed either in concert or become an actual show that people get to see. And that is so thrilling, but I also really encourage you to write the show <laughs> about the kid who lies all the time. And I oh, want yeah. you to remember every single one of those things, because just as an aside, um, I'd like to help you with that. I had a similar uh -huh. thing. Um, I was at a summer camp and it was my summer of lies. And I told people I had a twin brother at the camp who did not exist. So talk about, like, so I was constantly like, yes. you just missed him. You just missed him. Um, and that, you're like, as people walk into the room, you're like, bye. Oh, he just, what? wait, I want you to meet my, my counselor. Oh, well, he'll be right. So I don't, I think that just as an aside, it's such yeah. a fascinating thing. Um, the things that we choose to make up and 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 what other kids have that we think we want. Anyway, I haven't thought about that in so long. So thank you for sparking. Actually, I'm gonna write it. I'm gonna I, write that musical. I, I have to, I, I, I'm not lying when I tell you that I also did this. Yeah, um, for sure. I, I told, I was heavy set when I was a kid and I told, some bullies that the reason that I was heavy was because I was playing Falstaff in a production of Henry the fourth and I had gained weight for the role. Good lie. Okay. Funny lie. Like, but okay. so what That's the a hell? sophisticated lie. <laughs> but what am yeah. I doing? Falstaff. But, but Falstaff. I mean, he's a great character. A lot of great lines. <laughs> oh, I mean, would have known oh, you don't anything know Falstaff? about who Falstaff Oh, bullies. You don't know who Falstaff is? That's oh, you. Let me pull out my copy. <laughs> <laughs> oh god my, my quarto um but but i do think there's something you know listening to both of you talk and be taken back to that place like a clearly it's we're not alone thankfully um yeah. and b there's something just really fascinating about ethan what you said like this idea of of where does the truth end and the lie begin and obviously we're dealing with that so much now in this idea of like, well, I believe what I believe because it's my opinion. And it's like, right, but you're not a doctor. And it, it's, mm. it's something that I think is sort of like a strange contract with humanity that like, you know, we're all gonna, uh, we're gonna find that line together as a collective. And I think in a way that was like one of the things that really drew me to this idea was that in society, that is a real trust fall that has been, you know, a contract that's been broken over and over and over. And society mm -hmm. is just like all this scar tissue of like what to believe and who to believe. And so Ethan's idea of really cleaning that slate and going out to, you know, a place where there is no one uh, 
ostensibly corrects the problem, but you're bringing yourself with you and you're an imperfect human. And so you're going to create a new society with all of the same foibles that have plagued humanity forever, even in this new potentially, you know, um, a, pl a place without, without any variables. Right. And Neutral. I just, yeah, right. And, and I'm so fascinated by that. And I think that creates, and especially between a father and a son, and we have the, the great Norbert Leo Butts playing um, Henry, the, the father, that like, it, it's just a really imperfect, messy situation of like what people pass down to their kids. People will listen to this album and I want them to listen to it and then they'll hear how beautiful it is. And also just the music itself. The lyrics are fantastic. It's such incredible storytelling. Lily Cooper, who, when she was on the show, I think she said you guys went to college together. Yeah, Ethan, we went to college together. Um, That's right. And, and so there you are on Broadway together and, and all of you, and Norbert is everybody's favorite, right? Like we all grew up listening to him and the headiness of working with the person you've admired you know, lying on your bed, holding the liner notes and having them in your ear. And now he's the star of this thing you wrote must have been pretty magical, I can imagine. Um, you have both had really tremendous success at the very beginning of your artistic lives. And I want to talk a little bit about um, how do you think about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, it's a good question. I I'll, I can start with a little ramble. Um, <laughs> I, I think that like, it is, it, it's impossible not to be aware of the sort of privilege of that and, and the right place, right time of it all. Um, you know, I ended up be, being asked to audition for SpongeBob because I auditioned for a summer stock theater and they were like, oh, this kid's a little square and we're having trouble finding someone to play this role. Um, we've been looking for seven months and like, you know, um, let's just see what happens. So like, I, I, I feel really, you know, lucky. I, I was very prepared for it and all of that. So, you know, if you're a young person listening to this, it's not just luck. I was prepared for the audition and blah, 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 all of that. But like, I was also really lucky that that happened. Um, and it, it's sort of impossible to forget that because the, the ride is so wild. So I, I also feel really like grateful that that has turned into opportunities to work with people who I really love and respect. And like, you know, Nick is somebody that I met through that wild ride. Um, and and there's, there's just like all these amazing people that I met. So I think that the biggest thing for me is like, I feel very privileged to have expanded my network of friends and, and artists at a young age um, in a way that I, I would have been able to do, but differently. Um, anyway, I, I feel very grateful for that. I also think that like, there is no resting on your laurels in some ways, <laughs> like um, there, there are ways in which the early success feels like it's continually helpful and, and whatnot, but also it feels like it is what it is. It was one thing that I was really, I'm very grateful and lucky to have done, but also um, what's next is sort of always how it feels. Um, 
yeah, I hope those don't just feel like platitudes because I those mostly are are uh, that that's really how I think about it if I think about it, which I I'm not sure I always do. Yeah, it's it's very it's very tricky because I think you know you're you're stuck with the American dream, right? Speaking of like you go you bring yourself with you. Like we don't really get a choice about being born into a society that values fame and fortune. Um, and so you're going after it, you know, whether you like it or not to a certain degree. And especially if you get into um, to the arts, there's this sense of like, well, I, you know, a human, like I want to be seen, right. I want to be heard. I want to be, I want to be made real by having an audience or something. And then the biggest version of that is to be a star or to be a success. And I think something that happened to me, and I, I think Ethan and I have talked about this a little bit, like, and you're mentioning it too, in, in the way of like, what's next, there's this sense of like, when it happens, it's like, oh, but I'm still alive and I'm still moving <laughs> forward. And like, now the thing that I was going after has, has, is, is behind me, but I'm still moving forward. And my wife says it really well. She's like, I feel like we're going after a carrot that like wilts the closer you get to it. And I think, you know, mm. the, the tricky thing is like, there's no way that if you haven't done the thing that you've set out to do, you'll ever believe what I'm about to say. Uh, Cause you need to do it in order to know that the carrot is wilted. But it, one of the, the things that I am most grateful for uh, along with everything that Ethan said in terms of like, it is a privilege to be lucky enough to get to find out. Right. But, uh, but that in finding out and realizing like, Oh, my entire life is not fixed and I'm not set for life. And I have to continue to, to fight and, and work for my next job. It's really put the focus more on the fun of it and the process of it and, and being like this making something is like kind of a holy act and I am fully obsessed with it and it gets me up in the morning and yes, I want the job and yes, it hurts when I don't get it. And yes, a lot of the time is spent trying to get it, mm -hmm. but what on a good day, it's about the doing. And, you know, we all know that that's a platitude for sure, <laughs> but, but it's just, I mean, and Alana, I'm sure you you feel this. I mean, I admire your career so much. I'm a Lois and Clark fan, you know. Like I I I love I love looking at people's careers and thinking about like, oh, they did that and then that. Like, it's it's all so fascinating, and and you know, it's that tip of the iceberg thing where like you see people's accomplishments and think like, ah, oh, what a perfect patchwork. They just like hop from lily pad to lily pad when actually maybe the most interesting things they ever did were like the gray weird work in between those peak experiences, mm. you know, that like really fulfilled them and, and, and fueled them and certainly mm -hmm. fueled me. And I think both of you to continue to like dig on these subjects and like, how do you write something that gets people feeling, you know, how do you repay the favor that like, Sondheim did for all of us, you know, or Jonathan Larson or Tina Landau, you know, these people who have like really set a bar as to like what's possible. It becomes more about trying to reach that more than like, can I make a million dollars? 
Well, can I, can I, I, I think that one of the things that you're saying that's really making me think about like, what is success? And I think that even in the experience of doing SpongeBob, I think I became really aware of the fact that what, what was quote unquote success about that experience was that I loved what I was doing and I was so proud of it. And a lot of people got to see it. Like it was this combo of things like, yes, I think in a lot of ways, um, if I wasn't proud of what I was doing, it still would have been felt like on the outside, like a success, but on the inside, the reason it felt so good was because I was so proud of what I was doing and I loved my job. Um, and I feel the same way about edge of the world, like getting to be, even though we were on zoom in a recording session with, um, you know, one of my idols, Norbert and one of my best friends, Lily, like and obviously Mick and then new friend, Aaron, who is in uh, Minneapolis producing the hell out of this record. Like that felt like such a huge success. And I like watched these videos that Mick took of us <laughs> like in the recording session. And I'm like, we're, we're both just like, <laughs> you know, and, and like, um, oh, this is a podcast. So I, I did some really great moves. Um, dance yeah, moves mainly. celebratory, celebratory. Gestures. Celebratory. But it's yeah. just like that, that feels like, to me, that feels like a big success, like a massive, huge moment. Um, and so I think that it's just about like constantly redefining it. And like, it's in the doing of it, as Nick said, um, platitudinously. Um, it's like in the doing of it that you're like, wow, this is, I, I'm grateful that I get to do this at all. Well, yeah. first of all, we'll call the episode Platitudes. Um, it always needs a good title and platitudes <laughs> is such a good word. Um, you guys are two of, uh, the most talented people, um, that I've had the privilege of talking to, but I didn't know how kind you would both be. Um, you hope, and it's always wonderful when that happens. Um, and they're not necessarily intertwined talent and kindness as we know, um, and read about on the daily. So... <laughs> Thank you for not just making beautiful work, but for giving others opportunities to, to do things that make them feel the way you guys just described feeling when you love the thing you're doing. I know both Lily and Norbert and everyone involved in this project felt um, like it came to them just at the right moment that they needed it. There was a sweet spot with Lily being pregnant. Mm. Um, Norbert, where he is in his life, like it was so uh, serendipitous that you guys wrote this piece and that in the pandemic, which, you know, this episode's going to live forever, right? In, <laughs> in the world, but we're in such a specific moment in time that already is so hard to um, hold on to as we start to go back into some things we did before. And um, to have your record kind of be a part of the things we get to listen to in this next moment in our lives is kind of amazing. And then we'll get to listen to it later on and kind of remember the first time we heard it. And now you guys made that album that's going to be that thing for so many mm. people. And it's really incredible. And I and I just so look forward to seeing all the things that you do. And, and thank you for bringing so much joy into it. Because uh, we all get, it's intoxicating. It's totally intoxicating. So thank you. You're welcome. So thank, thank you. you. I'm going to ask you each before we go, um, Nick, I'll start with you. Uh, can you share a little known fact about yourself? 
Little known fact. Yeah. Uh, when I was four years old, I had open heart surgery. And uh, I, uh, I mean, it, it is, a, it is probably the root of, of ev everything about me. Um, in that, like, I was so young as my, I was the oldest kid. So my, my parents first kid, and they were totally worried I wasn't going to make it. And I had no concept of that. And I was in the hospital for four days in now in a surgery that like now, you know, happens in like, it's like in, it's like outpatient now it's, it's not even a thing, but back then it was, it was really scary for my parents. And, uh, and I think it put, you know, a lot of just sort of life is precious, like right at the forefront of my brain, uh, subconsciously, uh, in a way that, that has been both great and, and, hard for my life and that like each moment feels so precious that when I don't use it or I, I, I misuse it, I feel like I've like really, you know, wasted more than maybe I have. It's just, as you said, like life is really hard to hold anyway. And then you add what we're going through on top of it. And it's like, you know, there, there's a sense of like, we just got to lean back and like let the wind carry us to a certain degree. Um, but I, I, I can't extricate that from my, my mindset on, on living. And it's something that like, I don't really talk about a lot, but you know, totally happened. So that's a little guy. Nick, wow, uh, Ethan, were you, Beautiful. unless you say you were the child prodigy surgeon who did that operation, <laughs> mm -hmm. nothing you say is going to be very good. Sorry. <laughs> that's right. No, that's okay. No, well, I was actually the architect who built the hospital. Um, right. Little that's right. Fact. Exactly. That's right. fact. I mean, not a, not a big deal, but CIA is on your tail. Um, <laughs> you can't, you can't pull that. I, whew, you gave me a start. I'm so sorry. A start. Yeah. <laughs> Give him a start, Nick. He got very oh, nervous oh, about my, it. Land. Land. He gave me a start. Huh? Oh my word. He was so oh. scared. A scared. Very Meyer. Um, all right, Slater. All right. Well, uh, slightly different angle of childhood. Exactly. A different, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to take it in a slightly different angle, uh, which is that I was also just want to say really quickly, how, like what a beautiful like way to understand this moment that happened in your childhood, Nick. I haven't heard oh, you thanks. talk about it like that. And that's just, anyway. Um, uh, when, I was, when I was a kid, I was uh, deeply obsessed with baseball. And um, I collected baseball cards and had and have and have thousands and thousands and thousands of baseball cards. Um, and I was like obsessed with memorizing lineups of the different of different teams. I still remember the 2004 Baltimore Orioles mostly. Um, I was like super into it and convinced I was going to be a major league baseball player until I was in high school and realized I wasn't very good at baseball, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't like, I don't know uh, if that's actually, it was like this interesting, huge part of my life that is not a part of my life anymore. Um, I go to maybe one baseball game a year. If I'm lucky, I like, you know, I'm just, you know, it's just this interesting thing that, I don't feel sad about having lost a little, but I do feel a little nostalgia about it. What well, is this element of like, wow. Theater's a team sport, right? You're playing a different kind of team sport. It's so true. I mean, I think that's, I think that's right. Like there is, um, there's a reason that I loved 
not just playing baseball, but like knowing all about baseball teams was I was like, you know, I, I was obsessed with like that, that sort of like 1950s folklore of like sending a baseball to the New York Yankees and they would send it back and they've all signed it. And you're like, wow, like Mickey Mantle and all his teammates signed my ball, you know? Um, totally. And so I would try that. And I, I think I never got, I never got a ball returned, but like, I was oh. very obsessed with like, ugh, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. Like I actually am super over it. Um, <laughs> Have you sung yeah. the national anthem? I did. I sang the national anthem at a Mets game. And so it was, how was that? Awesome. Yeah. It was there you go. awesome. Full um, circle. And, and I made a uh, square as I. <laughs> yeah, full, full, full circle. Square skull. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. Um, Nick and Ethan, this has been uh, delightful. And um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for being on the show today. You guys are. Oh, what a pleasure back at you thanks for having us yeah all right take care you guys one more thing so many of you have asked how do you donate to the podcast well it could not be easier just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com slash donations instructions are clearly laid out And I'm so grateful to you in advance for any donation you choose to make. But regardless, I have loved, loved, loved making the previous 200 and something episodes for you. I can't wait to make 200 more. I wish you a beautiful day. Stay healthy. Be safe. Until next time. The episode was edited by Nicholas Klar. We recorded in New York City. And the Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded by Georgia Famusa with backups by Caleb Famusa.